going, everybody? You're listening to The Raven's Grove. I'm your host, Dahi, and this is our seventh episode of our segment, Tales of the Unexplained, where I'll be talking about some of the aliens, spirits, semi-mythical creatures, and various other entities that go bump in the night. Today, we're going to be taking a bit of a detour from the normal format, and we're going to be discussing some cryptids from ancient Greek mythology. More specifically, we're going to be looking at three of the most well-known cryptids, creatures, and monsters from ancient Greece, the Chimera, the Sirens, and the Gorgon Medusa. Now, a few things before I begin. First off, I have an announcement. This is my first episode broadcasting from my home, so I've officially changed studios, which I'm really excited about, so I hope you guys all like it. Secondly, and a quick disclaimer, this series is comprised of folklore and urban legends. The existence of the monsters and cryptids featured in these episodes are, as of this recording, currently unconfirmed by the scientific community at large. As such, any and all opinions I may reach in this segment are mine and mine alone, unless explicitly stated otherwise. It's quite possible you may have heard different versions of the legends and stories that I may retell in this series, so if you feel that the version you heard or may even have experienced is different from the one I tell, please bear in mind that I'm just a storyteller. I will try and cross-reference the different versions of the legend and stories, so if I miss something, that's on me. Also, this episode of the Raven's Grove features the following trigger warnings. Bodily harm mentions, animal predatory behavior mentions, being hunted mentions, cannibalism mentions, sexual assault mentions, drowning mentions, supernatural themes, urban legends, folklore, and potentially frightening stories. So if any of those are in any way an issue for you, please give this episode a miss. Okay, now that those are out of the way, let's get going. So first off, we have the Chimera. According to the myths, the Chimera was a gigantic, fire-breathing lion with the head of a goat protruding from its back and with a snake for a tail. Its venom didn't need to be injected, though. The Chimera could spit its venom like a cobra, and the venom was instantly lethal to anyone unlucky enough to either be caught in the splash zone of venom being spat, or to be wounded by the fangs of the Chimera itself. According to the myths, the Chimera was a child of Typhon, the father of monsters, and his equally horrific wife, Echidna, and no, I'm not talking about the adorable monotreme from Australia here. I'll be talking more about Typhon and Echidna in the next segment in the segment of um, Tales of the Unexplained, which will also be on about ancient Greek cryptids, so stay tuned for that. Bottom line, the Chimera was very bad news. Now, according to the myth, the hero Bellerophon it was exiled from the homeland of Corinth for the crime of murder. Some, but not all, variants of the story claimed they killed his brother, and he arrives at the home of Proetus, the king of Tyrants. Proetus absolved Bellerophon of his crimes and welcomed him as a guest. Now, if you're a long-time listener of this podcast, you'll know about the laws of hospitality in the ancient world. This means that Bellerophon was protected from any and all threats and insults by Proteus, and in return, he was honor-bound to respect the rules of guest hospitality. Now, Proetus' wife apparently had an instant crush on Bellerophon, and she cr- tried to seduce him. When he rejected her advances, she went to Proetus and claimed that Bellerophon had tried to rape her. Proetus couldn't harm Bellerophon while he was under the Xenia, which is a guest rights, but he could not let this insult go unanswered, even though we know it was fake. As such, Proetus sent Bellerophon to Proetus' father-in-law, King Iabates, the king of Lycia, with a sealed message for the king's eyes only, which read, Pray remove the bearer from this world. He attempted to violate my wife, your daughter. Now, Iobates didn't open the tablet immediately. Instead, he held a feast for Bellerophon, which went for nine days, and apparently that was quite standard for big feasts in those days. Unfortunately, this meant that by the time he had opened the message from Proetus, Bellerophon had been granted guest rights, and as such, Iobates couldn't outright kill him without seriously angering the Furies, and yes, I'll also be talking about the Furies in part two of Ancient Greek Cryptids. 
So Aibati set Bellerophon an impossible task, one in which he would surely die, kill the Chimera. Now on his way, he encountered the famous Corinthian seal Polyedros, who gave him advice about the oncoming battle. Poiedros told Bellerophon that he would have need of Pegasus. To attain the services of the untamed winged horse, Poiedros told Bellerophon to sleep in the temple of Athena. When he slept, he dreamed that Athena set down a golden bridle beside him, and when he woke, he found that the bridle was there, just as it was in the dream. Bellerophon had to approach Pegasus while it drank from a well. Polyedros told him which well, never failing Pyrene at the citadel of Corinth, the city of Bellerophon's birth. Other accounts say that Athena already brought Pegasus, already tamed and bridled, or that Poseidon the horse tamer, secretly Bellerophon's biological father, brought Pegasus. Bellerophon mounted Pegasus and flew off to fight the Chimera, but when he arrived in Lycia to fight it, he found he could not harm the monster even while riding Pegasus. He felt the Chimera's hot breath and he had a brainwave. Now, he got a large block of lead and then mounted it on the tip of his spear. He then flew head-on towards the Chimera, holding the spear out as far in front of him as he could. Before breaking off his attack, he lodged the block of lead deep inside the Chimera's throat. The beast's fire breath melted the lead, which blocked the adversary suffocating it. Bellerophon returned victorious against King Abates, but on his return, the king was unwilling to believe his story. A series of daunting questions shoot Bellerophon was sent against a warlike Solimi and then against the Amazons, who he vanquished by dropping boulders from Pegasus, when he was sent against the Carrion Pirate. Uh, he, the ambush failed. When Bellerophon was killed, everyone sent to assassinate him. Uh, Ayabasis finally relented, produced a letter and allowed Bellerophon to marry his daughter, and shared with him half his kingdom with its fine vineyards and grain fields, meaning extreme wealth. Unfortunately, Bellerophon grew arrogant in his old age, and tried to ride Pegasus to the top of Mount Olympus to join the gods. And, well, anyone with even a cursory knowledge of Greek mythology will tell you this. If there's one thing you should never do... Is piss off one of the Olympians. Technically speaking, that rule can be applied to every member of anth- every Anthropantheon, but if, in the case of the Olympians, well, they really take things too far. Case in point, Zeus got all kinds of angry about Bellerophon's arrogance and sent a gadfly to sting Pegasus. Pegasus then bucked Bellerophon off in midair and Bellerophon fell to earth. Zeus was used Pegasus as a pack horse for his lightning bolts, while Bellerophon was blinded by thorns in his fall and died of shame in the pain- plains of Allium which literally means the Plains of Wandering. Sadly, this kind of downer-ending is all too common in Greek mythology, and there's very, very few actual Greek myths that have what we would consider to be a happy ending. But, anyways, let's crack on. Now, Cryptid number two is actually a race of creatures, and they're one of the most well-known of all ancient monsters, the Sirens. The Sirens are a race of human-like creatures that live in areas of the ocean near hidden dangers, by which I mean sharp rocks, hidden reefs, basically anything that can sink a ship on, on the coastline. They appear as beautiful humanoids, with the vast majority of them appearing to be female, and they have extremely hypnotic voices. Now, this last part is of vital importance, as it not only convinces you to sail towards them, it also blinds you from any potential dangers. Now, I have to make a very important distinction here. A lot of people assume that the sirens use their voices to lure people in by promising them sex. This is not necessarily true. You see, the sirens have the ability to see into your soul and know what you most desire in the world. And this is what they sing about to lure you in, so that your ship or boat smash on the rocks and they can either eat your corpse, or if you're still alive, they drown you and then they eat you. 
For instance, when Odysseus and his crew had to sail past them on their 10-year voyage home after the Trojan War, the siren's song to Odysseus was promising him all the secrets of the universe. So why didn't his crew and himself get smashed on the rocks and end up with siren food? Well, the only way to defeat a siren that the world is told about in Greek myths is to plug your ears with wax so that you are completely unable to hear the song. If any member of your crew doesn't absolutely plug their ears totally, like if even a tiny bit of sound can get through, they will be so enthralled by the sound they will do literally anything to reach the sirens, up to and including attempting to hijack the controls of the ship or boat or and killing their own crewmates. See, Odysseus, ha Odysseus had to be lashed to the mast of his ship in order to stop him from doing this, because the, pardon my language here, but the bloody moron wanted to know what the siren song sounded like. Now remember how I said that the song also blinds you to potential dangers? It also blinds you to the siren's true form, which is something more akin to a mermaid cross with a shark. Think long ropey hairs are more like tan tendrils or the whiskers of a catfish, razor sharp teeth and claws, eyes as black as night, gills and semi-sailor skin, and a long shark, long shark with eel-like lower body. Doesn't sound too attractive now, does it? But even if you plug your ears, you're not out of danger yet. Sirens will actively chase after your boat or ship for a fair while if they think you cannot hear their song. The only way to truly defeat them is to outrun them. According to the myths, once you are in open water, out of danger from reefs, rocks, or sandbars, then, and only then, will you be safe from them. Apparently, they also cannot be killed with conventional weaponry, and the only way to actually kill them is with a godly weapon. And, well, you don't often get those in Greek myths, so good luck. Now, our final cryptid for today is arguably one of the most tragic of all Greek monsters, and it's also easily one of the most famous. I'm talking about Medusa the Gorgon. Now, according to the stories, Medusa was once a priestess of Athena, famed both for her beauty and for her unwavering devotion to Athena. Unfortunately, one day Poseidon saw her and was immediately consumed with lust. Terrified, Medusa fled to the temple of Athena and tried to claim sanctuary, but her prayers fell on death ears, and Poseidon raped her on the altar of the temple. Now, this is where the different versions of the story, well, they differ. And in the most popular version, that's it's where Athena badly messes up. At least that's my opinion. You see, in the most popular version of the story, Athena didn't care that Medusa had been raped. All Athena saw was that her altar, the holiest place in the temple, had been desecrated. In a rage, Medusa was cursed by Athena, and Athena changed her form to be that of a monster, with living snakes for hair, a long scaly snake-like body, and a curse that anyone who looked into Medusa's eyes would be turned to stone. Now, like I said, there are, this is where a fair few alternate versions of the story differ. You see, Athena most likely knew that Medusa was the victim in the whole situation, but as Poseidon is not one of the not only one of the most powerful deities in the Greek pantheon, but also Athena's uncle, one the, she was unable to punish him. Now, this leads us to one possible interpretation of the curse that uh, Athena places on Medusa. What if it wasn't intended for as a curse at all? Think about it. Firstly, the snakes on her hair would be a constant lookout for danger. Secondly, the snakes and scale, snake-like body and scales would become a natural form of armor. And thirdly, the turning people to stone with direct eye contact thing is the ultimate weapon. Viewed in this light, it's very possible to think that Athena had to hide a number of gifts in the disguise of a curse. However, this doesn't change the fact that Athena lent the demigod hero Perseus her shield when Perseus went to kill Medusa, so he could use it as a mirror to see behind him and not look Medusa in the eyes. 
Personally, I've heard a lot of different versions of the story over the years, so I'm inclined to believe the most popular version of the story, as it seems to be the most in-character action for the Greek gods to make, but like I said at the start of this episode, I'm just a storyteller, and you guys may have heard different versions. The point is, each translation of an ancient text changes the text slightly, so there are as many different versions of the story as there are people who know the story. Anyway, that's all for today, folks. Thanks for listening to The Raven's Grove. I've been Dahi, you've been awesome, and I'll talk to you in the next episode. See ya.